0: What did the philosophy grad say to the trade school grad? Would you like fries with that? I say that because part of my misspent youth was as a philosophy student. I have an honors degree in pre-Socratic and Socratic thought, which is not really all that valuable in the real world. So, but one of the things interesting there is the word Socratic because it's based on a guy, a guy named Socrates who you know lived an awfully long time ago. But one of the interesting things about Socrates is that he doesn't really write a lot. In fact, most of what we know about what he believed and what he thought philosophically is recorded in what his student Plato wrote and it's interesting because you know you you can actually have distinctions between what Plato thought and what Socrates thought and It's all very very interesting and and you know you can discuss it in the unemployment line. It's very nice (laughs) But one of the reasons I say that is because he had an important reason why he didn't write He didn't like writing very much The reason was pretty simple Socrates liked to talk to people. He liked to have discussions. He liked to hear from what other people said and what he was going to say. In fact, he would say that one of the best ways to learn things is by what was called a Socratic method, where you'd talk to another person, ask questions, get them to reply to those questions, and you'd come to some kind of understanding of the truth as you talked. And the problem that he had with writing is, I got this book in front of me, but I can't ask him questions. Now, of course, I think Socrates was not very right, correct on this for one very simple reason. I don't think the ability to talk to other people necessarily means that the other person is going to listen. I know this because I've had conversations with people where I'm not really listening to them. I don't know if you've ever had those discussions. You know, you, you, you have a conversation with them and you are so utterly convinced that the other person is completely wrong that you're just sitting there waiting for your moment to be able to say something back to them so that you can get them. You are so utterly convinced that you are correct that you're not listening anymore. You're not even hearing what they're saying. You don't care, really, to hear what they're saying because, well, you're right and they're wrong. We've honestly elevated this over the last several thousand years to an art form. Our technology has actually set it up so that we can be talking to other people all the time and never, ever listen to anybody else have you noticed this? You, you guys have Facebook and Twitter. If you do, you've, you've seen it. Even, in fact, even if you've seen TV news, you've seen it. The ability that we have to be able to say at the top of our lungs all of the things that we believe while absolutely never hearing what the other person is saying. Never being convic- convinced or convicted of what somebody else might be telling us in the background. And so we never really learn. It's honestly true even in the church. I'm struck by how often I can get information and opinions about people who have never met certain pastors about how evil that pastor is. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think you should actually give bad teaching a pass, but I do notice that oftentimes it's, a, it's not necessarily just a way to get to the truth, it's more likely a way that we use to change the topic from our own situations. It's, uh, I know it happens in my own heart. Uh, One of the easiest things when somebody else comes at me with, you, Steve, have done something wrong, is for me to take down the litany of things that they've done wrong and repeat it to them. Don't know if you do this, am I the only one who does this? Like, I actually have ammunition in my head ready to go after most of the people I know, I really do. Because I I remember all of the things that other people do wrong to me sometimes, and I I can sometimes rehearse them to myself in my head so that when they come after me to say, Steve, what you just did is stupid, I can say, well, oh, you, you think I'm stupid. Let me tell you about how stupid you've been in the past. Uh, I'm actually very lucky that I haven't been married because I hear that this is a dynamic that does an awful lot of damage to most marriages. (laughs) And so I'm I'm impressed that maybe God has been kind to me because honestly it would be nuclear warfare between me and whoever is unlucky enough to be my wife. We're all laughing at it, but it's actually a very big problem because there is something to be said for the fact that we do need to look at the world and understand the world that we live in. We do need to be able to look at what people teach and to be able to uh, understand whether what they're saying is good or evil, whether it's something we need to take in or whether it's something that we need to reject. It's important to be able to say, uh, when it comes to things that we call works of the Spirit, whether or not the Spirit that's involved here is the Holy Spirit or something else. That's actually important. Discernment is commanded in Scripture. And yet, we have to recognize that there's this thing that exists within us that would like us to be able to see the sin in other people so that we can not have to listen to them when they're rebuking us. And this is insanely dangerous. Because it is really easy for me to go around believing that I am completely correct in everything that I believe, even though I've read the word of God, I know that there are so many things that I still need to work on in my life and that God is continually working on me in my life. And one of the reasons we exist in community as believers is so that we can rub up against each other and you can see the things that I need to work on, I can see the things you need to work on and God can use our love one for another To perfect us. And yet, it's so easy to discount other people. Allow me to be a little bit more direct about it. We would say that Calvary Baptist has very good theology on a few different points. I agree with the theology. I am an elder of this church. I gladly affirm the theology of our local church. But it's easy to talk about our theology in such a way as ignores things that might be blind spots. For example, we are a complementarian church. Generally speaking, when it comes to the people who stand in the pulpit and preach, it's going to be men. Because we believe that 2 Timothy actually puts it that way, that it should be that, that should be the way it is. But how often do we as a church and we individually and myself as a man usually find it easy to use that fact that, you know, fact that certain called men should be the ones preaching and nobody else as a way to discount and disrespect the co-heirs of Christ who happen to be my sister's. It happens pretty regularly. In fact, it goes pretty extreme in some churches that you can see in the world because it can go as far as to, well, underrepresent actual abuse, which, by the way, is evil and demonic. All abuse is evil and demonic. Can I get an amen? Amen, Amen. good, (laughs) I'm glad. But it's easy to use our good theology as a way of saying that, well, then this abuse thing isn't so bad, so I'm going to because I am a good solid theologically correct complementarian. I take the Bible seriously, so it doesn't matter about these other things. We talk about when it comes to gifts of the Holy Spirit, Uh, Calvary Baptist does not officially have a position on whether there is continuationism or cessationism. There are people in in this body of believers who believe both or neither. But it's easy for us to take our theology of the Holy Spirit and use it as a means to bludgeon people who disagree with us. And usually we do it in such a way so that we can ignore our own problems. as a continuationist myself, I would be able to use the skepticism of other people when it comes to gifts of the Holy Spirit to say, well, they're, they're obviously wrong, but I then don't deal with the question of whether I'm believing things that don't make sense myself. Whether I'm using gifts of the Holy Spirit as a means to denigrate God and ignore the word of God sometimes. On the other side, people can be uh, so uh, so skeptical of gifts of the Holy Spirit that in fact, they imagine that any time that somebody says that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, it must obviously be wrong, and then blast it. But at the same time, never dealing with the fact that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and our need to repent. That's what the Spirit does. And in each case, the problem is we're partially right because it's easy to be able to, to critique other people than it is to actually be correct ourselves. Benjamin Disraeli put it in a pithy little sentence, it's easier to be critical than it is to be correct. And there is a need fundamentally for us to weave the the needle here to go through the positions and the problems to try and not be so credulous that we believe everything and so skeptical that we believe nothing. We need to weave between actually being so focused on the goodness of God that we see him for who he is but still deal with the evil we see in our own hearts. There is a need to be willing to both see the need to be merciful and gracious, but to also call ourselves and our brothers and sisters to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna be honest here, if you're, if you're a Christian, repentance is necessary. It is always necessary, and to do that, we actually have to be open to hearing people who will correct us from the word of God and from, and from their experiences and their ability to see things. We need to be a people who are both loving grace, who <laughs> do justice and who love kindness and who walk humbly, with our God. That was the last sermon, by the way. And we see in Micah chapter seven something very interesting. We see a man, Micah, who is capable both of having some of the most profound and insightful understandings of the culture he lives in and of human nature and at the same time not be self righteous about it and recognize his own position before the God that he needs the mercy of. That's what we see in Micah chapter 7. We see a man who does not over does not slip under the rug all of the things that are going wrong in the world around him. He doesn't pretend that people are better than they are, but at the same time, he doesn't get self-righteous about it because he knows he has no righteousness independent of God himself. And may I be clear about this? That is what a Christian should look like. to be christian is to be a person who both loves the truth of god and recognizes that the truth of god is not me it's god a person who simultaneously can actually see evil as evil and say that it's evil while still pointing to the mercy and grace and goodness of a loving God who when he fully had the ability and inclination to destroy evil completely instead sent his son that we might be reconciled to him. Now Micah is an Old Testament prophet which is interesting because this kind of thing, people will sometimes think, this is a New Testament thing, that's a New Testament teaching. And yet, Micah chapter 7 fairly directly says the gospel message. He begins, woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no custard to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. By the way, this is metaphor. He's not talking about the fact that he's hungry. He's saying that he sees no righteousness. He says this, the godly have perished from the earth for there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts the other with a net. Like a good and godly man, like any person who understands the goodness of God, he desires to see righteousness. And like any good and noble person who has the Spirit of God dwelling in them and sees that the world is what it is, he recognizes that nobody is that. That righteousness is not what he's around. This, by the way, is a, is, a, is a metaphor you'll see throughout the New Testament. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Somebody can probably correct me if I got that wrong. What Micah is saying is this is not something he sees in the people around him. He understands the situation he's in. The fruit of godliness is gone. There is no righteousness. It's worse than that though. Just rereading two and then going down to four. The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts the other with a net. Interesting to say hunts each other with a net. It's so that they don't actually kill the other person. It's so that they can have them and capture them and do what they want with them. It's a kind of hunting that's honestly even worse than we could imagine. Their hands are, what, are on what, it is, what is evil to do it well. These people are good and competent individuals. They are capable of what they're doing and what they're doing is evil. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe and the great man utters evil, the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. <laughs> Micah understands better than a lot of us sometimes that evil doesn't stop with an individual. He understands that as we exist in a society with evil in our, among it, the evil will reinforce each other. The prince's willingness to take a bribe will be accented by my willingness to give the bribe so that I can get my benefit. And the whole society becomes corrupt in that moment. It keeps reaffirming itself. Evil isn't just an individual thing, it's a communal thing because we are not individual people, we are societies together. And not only that, Our skills and our abilities, if we desire to embrace the evil in our lives, will be marshaled to support that evil. Their hands are on, on what it is to do evil and to do it well. They are effective doers of evil. The most upright of them is a thorn hedge. The best of them is like a briar. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. You see, evil doesn't actually work for long periods of time. It eventually collapses. And Micah understands that. There will come a time of confusion when this will all fall apart. He's not happy about it but he recognizes that that's what's coming. I find that interesting, by the way, because this is something that we note about our own culture so easily. There's a full cottage industry of Christians who do uh, cultural understandings and apologetics to try and understand how the culture is going wrong. And the, the interesting thing is they're almost always right. There is an awful lot going wrong in our culture. I mean, the fact is, we do live in a culture where people work hard to do wrong things, and it shouldn't really surprise us. I mean, just as Christians should show the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that we know that we are in fact believers is if God's spirit works his way out through the way we act. Similarly, if you do not believe in God, if you do not trust in Jesus Christ, well, your life will reflect that. Everybody does basically what their central beliefs and their central understandings and loves are. And it will, it'll work out in the way that we live. And so in a society that has rejected God, it's not surprising then that they do a whole bunch of things that show they've rejected God. And similar things can happen. The whole thing will reinforce itself and re- re- and strengthen itself. That's one of the problems with corruption when it comes to government. It doesn't just stay in one place. It becomes entrenched over time as the people who have power want to maintain power and will use illegal and terrible ways of doing it. And Micah, and this is one of the things we need to notice, Micah does not ignore this. He says it clearly and emphatically that this is the case. He is not silent about the situations that he sees around him. He's accurate and he's clear about what the, what the culture is. He goes further, verses 5 and 6. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. As the society becomes corrupt, as individuals become corrupt, we become less trustworthy with one another. We become less able to say and do the things we need to do. And it becomes easy for us to become so selfish that we mistreat the people we should be loving the most. So much so that it's, you should not trust your neighbor, you should have no confidence in your friends, and you should guard your mouth from the person who lies in your arms, your wife, husband, significant other. Because as you embrace evil, the evil will Take over the whole situation, it will work its way out through in your li- throughout your life. But it gets worse. The son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. <laughs> According to this prophecy, there is good reason not to trust neighbors or friends. There are bad parents, and there are good reasons to not even trust your own children. I mean, that's a dark thing to think, isn't it? I mean, what must it be like to have a situation where you realize that your children are against you? And yet, that is precisely what can happen. It's easy for it to happen. It's easy to treat people who went before us as, well, less intelligent, less understanding than we are. In fact, if you wanna know it, our society is actually based on that premise. We call it the myth of progressivism. Well, I call it a myth, but lots of people will say it's the simple fact of progressivism, that whatever is newer is by definition better. That's, by the way, not true. I mean, it's possible that what's newer is better, don't get me wrong. But new beliefs don't necessarily mean better beliefs, just means new beliefs. Sometimes we need to actually grade those beliefs and understandings, and the problem that sometimes comes up is if you honestly believe from the beginning that the newest is obviously the better, you know, that you don't wanna be left behind by the winds of history or whatever, you don't check what you're believing and you need to. Uh, George W. Bush is uh, is quoted as having said at one point that when I was young and stupid, I was young and stupid. Now I'm older. (laughs) But it's a situation that we often have. I remember honestly believing some things when I was younger that over time and over experience I had to actually look at and understand, those are incorrect. Those were wrong things. And part of, the re- part of the reason I was able to do that is because I was able to look at people who were older than me and who were, had more experience than me and actually try to trust them that they might have some idea because they went through stuff that I haven't. We live in a society right now and I think it's clear that Micah lived in a society where honestly, contempt for what went before is kind of baked into the system. We imagine that whatever went before is obviously less moral than what comes, is coming after. Which, by the way, could be true, but it could be false. Because ultimately, truth is not determined by its age, it's determined by the way it reacts to reality. If what you believe accords with reality, it's true. If it doesn't accord with reality, it's false. It doesn't matter if you came up with it yes, the idea yesterday or a thousand years ago. If it doesn't accord with reality, it's wrong. If it accords with reality, it's right. But to do that, we actually have to be able to question ourselves and to be able to bring, bring the truth to bear on things. And unfortunately, so often, we don't do that. One of my favorite uh, Proverbs is Proverbs twenty six twelve. It goes like this. Do you see a man who is wise in, your, in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And so often, we as a society and we as individuals have been trained to believe, to be very confident in ourselves, that we are wisdom, that we are wise without recognizing that wisdom comes from, well, marinating in truth. Wisdom doesn't come from just simply believing stuff. It doesn't come naturally to you. It doesn't doesn't come down from the heavens. Wisdom is learned. And brothers and sisters, we need to be able to look at this, to care about what the truth is, but so clearly in the society we live in and in societies that have gone before, because of the way that humans work, we have to recognize the society will be against us on that one. I mean, you guys all have computers, I'm imagining, and you've probably checked your computer fairly regularly, and some of you have cell phones. Some of you are looking at your cell phones right now. I hope the Candy Crush is going well for you. But each thing that you see in your cell phone is designed to make you think only of the moment you're in. Each idea is given to you so that you don't think about the ideas that went before and the ideas that will come after. It's designed to keep you pressing the button so that they can sell your eyes to other people who will then sell you stuff that you don't need. The system is designed to make you not think and reflect, and the result is going to be that we won't be very wise people. We need to care about the truth more than about ourselves. And the worst part is gonna be, we don't live alone. We have people who care for us. We have people who love us. We have people we love. But that doesn't mean they are going to believe the truth and it doesn't mean they are going to help us to believe the truth. In Micah's time, as I think has happens in our time, there will be instances where people we love and care about will treat us with contempt because we disagree, because we have different viewpoints, because we care about different things. I mean, again, our society is pretty good at this. I was having a discussion immediately before this how rare it is these days to have friendships across a political divide. Now, that should be really, really weird because, uh, you know, spoiler alert, no political party in Canada, the United States, or any country in the world is completely godly. Not one. Allow me to uh, disabuse you of all False understandings. There is no presidential candidate. There is no prime ministerial candidate. There is no political leader anywhere in the world who is as righteous as Jesus. So we as Christians are going to have to be, well, loving and gracious and merciful and skeptical of all of them because there are going to be parts where they're right and parts where they're wrong. But then that also means that the tribes that we can put ourselves into, whether that's liberal or conservative or I think the Americans are Republicans and Democrats or whatever ends they are, not everything that the the party we agree with says is going to be correct, not everything that the party we disagree with says is going to be evil. We need to actually listen to them. And yet it is so easy to get into our little bubble and imagine that we are the the righteous ones and they are the evil ones. And that way we can just kind of minimize the evils we do and maximize the evils they do. And that's demonic. That's what Micah is speaking so clearly against. And yet, Micah does the one thing that I think we as a culture most need to do and so rarely do. He says it in verse 7, and this, this is a brilliant phrase, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O over, oh my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I, and it's not because he's amazing. It's not because Micah believes he is the greatest person ever. No, he says this. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me he will bring me out to the light i shall look upon his vindication now if you're following along you should have a bit of a thing going off in your head here how does this work how is it that micah can say, I will trust in God, though I have sinned against him. And if you're asking that question, glad you asked. Because as Christians, we know what that answer is. How is it that we who so easily fall into evil we who so easily hate our neighbors when we should love even our enemies. How can we be reconciled to a God of goodness? Does anybody know the answer? Starts with a J, ends with an esus. Because we are saved through Jesus Christ. Not one of us can stand before God in our own righteousness. Not one of us can say that, you know, uh, Micah, he might, have to, he might have to repent of his unrighteousness, but I'm, I'm good. God, 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 me, we're tight because I'm a perfect person, but I'm waiting for the lightning to hit me. Because the fact is, none of us are righteous, not one. All of us have gone astray, every last one. When we're busy hating on our political opponents or our theological opponents or whatever opponents we've got in our heads, God is still true. Because trust is vindicated. Isaiah said a similar thing when he was dealing with the situation he had with God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for." I have very good news for you if you are a sinner today, which is pretty good because we're all sinners. It's not a coal from the altar that a seraphim has to fly to our lips that will atone for us. But the atonement is available in Jesus Christ. But it's only available if you see yourself as a sinner in need of grace and mercy. If like Micah, you forego the ability to see all of the evil around the world around you and instead of seeing the evil as a reason to believe yourself better than them, to instead cry out for the mercy of God because I can guarantee you, based on the word of God and what we see in Jesus Christ, mercy is available to you. And even now, some people who have gone through sin and problems are thinking right now, oh, well, Steve, you don't possibly know what I have done. Nope, I don't. But Jesus does. And while you were a sinner, while we were sinners, while he knows the depth of your sin far more than you ever will, at that moment, he sent his son to live the life that we needed to live, to die the death that we deserved and was raised again so that we might have faith in him and be saved. But the necessity is we can't trust in our own righteousness. We have to trust in his we can't be self-righteous. There is no, su- insofar as there are self-righteous Christians, they're not Christian. Insofar as I am self-righteous, insofar as I believe I am righteous in myself, I'm not a Christian. Christians trust in Christ. I'm not a Stevian. That's a weird religion, don't believe that one. Don't trust Steve for your righteousness, trust Jesus for your righteousness, even if you happen to be Steve. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, it's simple and devastating. First of all, like Micah, we have to expect that most people will reject God. That's the way it is. Like our hearts rejected God, we other people will likely reject God. Sometimes people we trust and love. As has been said before, your faith should not be in other people, it should be in Jesus Christ. And if they fall away and if they do the wrong things, you should probably feel bad for them, pray for them, Call them to repentance, but ultimately don't trust in them. And don't trust in yourself over it either. Point them to Christ, not to you. But expect the apostasy. God pointedly tells us it's going to happen, and it may include people we care about. I cannot promise you that everyone you love and everyone in this congregation will ultimately be saved. I don't know that but i can tell you that jesus christ is good that god is good and he knows what he's doing so point us all point one another to jesus and second of all trust in god i'm going to read fairly lengthy part of first timothy chapter 3 because i think this gives us a good understanding. If you want to take a moment and go to First Timothy chapter 3, I am going to start to read at the first verse because I think the application of Micah chapter 7 is found here. This is Paul writing to someone he cares deeply about, his protege, his friend, his brother in Christ. And he says this, but understand this, Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture the weak, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Again, speaking, he was speaking directly to a situation where there were women in the local church who were being led astray. The fact is, God knows that things will probably be worse than we will even see them meant to be. Trusting God in the midst of it. In verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, you, you however, have followed my teaching and conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me." Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the verse that everybody quotes, but you now get the context. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, there will be apostasy that comes. People will turn away from the faith. It is theoretically possible that I, who right now stand in front of you, in front of this pulpit, will fall into disqualifying sin and will need to repent myself. It can happen. Do not trust in me. Trust in the God I point to. Do not trust in Calvary Baptist Church. I love Calvary Baptist Church. I love all you guys, you are great people, but I do not trust in you as my righteousness or in in you as the ultimate truth. No offense. There may come a day when most of us will find ourselves in apostasy and weirdness and those kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, when that, that day comes, look into the word of God. Look to the God who saves and trust in him. And we need to practice that first. We need to be ready right now to trust this way. Because ultimately, that is the only way that we will end up in truth. Like Micah, we need to be a people who trust in God above all else. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, because my words certainly aren't. I pray that by your grace and through your mercy, you have opened people's eyes to your word and to trust in you. Lord God, I pray that above all else, we will not be a people who trust in positive things in snazzy suits or in great buildings, but people who trust ultimately in you, and use all of the gifts that you give us, whether that's communities of believers, whether that's friends who love you, whether that's families who care about you, and use them that we might trust in you more, and desire to seek the truth above all else, because your word is truth. Let's pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.